Story 5 of Hugh Walpole's Selected Short Stories. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story 5, The Garrulous Diplomatist, 1924. On a beautiful afternoon in May, as I was walking down Piccadilly, just in the arcade of the Ritz Hotel, I was touched on the arm and turned round, saw the round, highly polished countenance of Palm Banting, uplifted towards me. Hello, Palm, I said. How goes it? Oh, it goes very badly, he answered. The bankruptcy court sees me next week, and a pauper's grave the week after. Meanwhile, young Johnson, you're just the man I want to see. Are you out walking, or is your nurse waiting somewhere round the corner with the pram? I'm allowed to take a little gentle exercise, on condition I don't go too far and wear myself out. Meanwhile, that famous club, the Saucepan, is all agog with excitement, because I'm about to lunch there, and the windows are hung with flags. That being so, said Palm, we will walk along together. I have something extremely important and mysterious to impart to thee. Impart on, I said. Well, old cream and custard, Palm continued, is it truth or not that some months ago you and one or two other innocents scattered broadcast a letter, the import of which was that you would remove bores from the heart of society at a moment's notice, demanding but a modest fee in return? Well, I don't know about the modest fee, I answered. We've been such a success during the few months we have been at work that our fees have gone up. The devil they have, said Palm. What are they, anyway? Seventy-five quid, in any case, I answered, and a hundred and fifty if we succeed. Well, it might be worse, said Palm. Several of us would be willing to give more than a hundred and fifty if you helped us in our present trouble. Who's us? I asked us said palm are uh, me good heavens i interrupted in what language do you imagine you're speaking at the present oh hang english said palm don't you know i went to eton well anyway there are milly drake huckster crashaw and a lot of others in this and we'll raise the coin all right if you'll do the job well what is the job i asked palm dropped his voice into a mysterious and secretive whisper do you know old Marcus Pendice? he asked. What, uh, Pendice, who was minister at Constantinople and all sorts of other places years ago, who published his reminiscences last year? People who have seemed to me worthwhile? The very same, said Palm. Yes, so what about him? I asked. Have you ever seen him? Palm asked. No, I answered. Then the lambs must entertain you very seldom, he replied. The Lambs, I need scarcely mention, was that famous and most exclusive of clubs, entering which was far harder than camels piercing the eye of a needle, whose wine is a miracle, whose history goes back almost to the days of Adam, Eve, and the serpent. I've been to lunch there a lot of times, I answered, but I don't know old Pendice by sight. Describe him to me. Five chins, two stomachs, and a face like a beetroot, said Palm. But the strangest thing about him is his voice, which is now deep like the rumbling of a gun, and suddenly shrill as a peahen in anger. He is the greatest bore that the world has ever seen, not forgetting George Washington and Mr. Longfellow. Tell me more, I asked. How old is he? Is he married? 
he's well over seventy said palm and ought to be silently contemplating his latter end he's a widower with no children he's the greatest bore yes i interrupted you've said that already what is it you want us to do why to remove him of course cried palm didn't your old letter say that you'd remove anybody so that they'd never come back again do you mean to tell me i replied that there are all you strong and healthy men and you're unable to deal with one poor old one over seventy and a widower ought to be ashamed of yourselves one poor old one ejaculated palm you wait until you see him he's got the strength of five hundred horsemen and then some he's absolutely unbeatable he's eternal inevitable everlasting why do you mean to say in your clubs you haven't got bores whom no one can get rid of well try being rude to him i said i've known rudeness work wonders before now rude cried palm you can't be rude to him he says he's deaf which of course he isn't and when you say anything to him especially nasty he thinks you paid him a compliment thanks you for it and clings closer than ever the fact is johnson that he's ruining our club like everyone else we're in need of money at the same time we try to keep our membership as decent as we can but half the fellers we'd like to have now have got wind of old mark my words as we call him and half the other decent fellows don't come into the club simply because they're terrified of finding him there but what does he actually do i asked in the first place he sits on all the papers then when he's read them he wanders about seeking whom he may devour then he begins i remember in seventy two he says and then you're done of course you can get up and leave him but before you know where you are he's at your elbow again and it's a silly thing to see members wandering through the club like lost spirits with that old thing pottering after them it's ludicrous it's very difficult i said shaking my head to cause to disappear one of our most prominent men well there you are said palm take it or leave it you might in any case come and have a look at him come and take lunch with me there to-morrow that the lambs is a very agreeable lunch everybody knows it's old rooms it's aroma of russian leather and the best cigars the spirit of peace that broods over it make it one of the best escapes from this new democratic world conceivable palm is an excellent companion i enjoyed my luncheon enormously it was when we went into the smoking-room afterwards that palm suddenly whispered into my ear look that's him over there talking to those two unhappy youths i looked across the room and saw a stout red-faced man with white hair slightly on end this gave him a cockatoo appearance holding forth to two young men who were staring at him with the fascinated absorption of rabbits in front of a snake he was leaning forward a little and every once and again i caught the boom of his voice and then a reassuring murmur as though his audience were trying to placate him we will join them then said palm firmly we went across and palm in his sweetest voice said pendyce i want to introduce you to a clever young friend of mine mr seymour johnson the future leader of the english novel i hope we're not interrupting you oh no 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 indeed said one of the pale young men rising with exceeding eagerness i must be going i'm afraid of appointment and the rest of his sentence took place in his boots 
no interruption no interruption said sir marcus heartily fixing his eyes upon the other pale young man as though defying him to move a finger i was just telling our young friends here about the eruption in seventy eight the eruption said palm rather puzzled oh yes of mount paphanatus in the fijis oh said palm i beg your pardon i thought you meant that something was the matter with somebody's face very silly of me indeed the remaining pale young man feebly giggled and made an attempt to move but sir marcus's red gout-thickened fingers were on his arm in half a second just a moment my dear fellow he said allow me to finish my story it was a perfect miracle of luck that i was there at all at the moment if it hadn't been for old casey of the bellerophon turning up just at the nick of time i beg your pardon said the pale young man rising now firmly i really have an appointment i'm a quarter of an hour late as it is you must excuse me sir marcus's red-veined eyes nearly started out of his head oh very well very well he said huffily good day good day and when the young man had gone he turned round to us saying what's happened to these young fellows nowadays haven't got any manners and haven't got any interest in things either why that was a most remarkable affair that eruption i remember it as though it was yesterday i can see now just the shape of the island with the bay running from east to west yes interrupted baum there's nothing i'd like better than to have your account of it pendyce but i see blackstone over there waiting for me so i'll just leave you with my young friend for five minutes and come back palm rose and started across the room with what i afterwards found was known as the pendyce shuffle that is the walk that was common to all those escaping from the embraces of sir marcus left now only with myself he was forced to consider me and he turned round moving with some difficulty and his face slowly fell upon mine i was as it were dragged gradually into his comprehension first a nose then a chin then an eye or two and finally all of me caught fixed nailed down well well he said every one seems very busy to-day and so you're a painter young man uh, no no i hurriedly retorted i am a writer what do you write he asked blue books i wrote a blue book once on the condition of the potato disease in eastern manchuria i remember at the time no i said very loudly and distinctly i couldn't write blue books i have a very inaccurate mind i write novels oh novels he exclaimed novels 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 now that's a funny thing what do you write novels for aren't there enough in the world already oh yes there are i agreed with him fervently unfortunately it's the only thing i can write one has to earn one's living you know has one has one has one he replied i may remark in parenthesis that i was already discovering two of sir marcus's most irritating peculiarities one being that he said everything three times over the other that he was curiously absent-minded except when he was talking about himself so that when you were at the most thrilling point of your own narrative you could see his eye wandering like a greedy pirate wondering upon what new victims it could seize talking of novelists he went booming on i used to know a feller called trollope who wrote novels big heavy stupid man went out hunting a lot and had the worst seat on a horse i've ever seen on anybody 
Here he began to chuckle over some joke which was slowly coming up to the surface of his mind, which he already perceived in the dim blue waters far below. "'It must have been in the late eighties, he sputtered, "'that I said a good thing to that same feller, Tarlop. "'I was in the garrick one day, lunching with old Bonnie Hackett. "'Bonnie couldn't stand writing men, "'and when Trollope came up and joined us, "'he was as rude as he could be. "'When I was introduced to him, Trollope snorted, "'and that put my back up. "'I wasn't going to be snorted at by one of those writing fellers.' So I said something about novels, you know, hadn't any time to read em, better things to do, and all that sort of thing, and Trollope got as red as a turkey cock, and said to me some cheek about thinking that diplomatists had plenty of time for everything, and I said, here he began to chuckle again, and chuckled such a long time that all the clocks in the club were able to take breath, strike the hour, and recover their breath again before he'd finished. I said, heavens what did i say well i don't know it was something clever about writing and all that sort of thing and i remember old bonnie hackett was devilish amused and told me afterwards he hadn't heard anything so funny forever so long the writing feller didn't half like it i can tell you wish i could remember what it was i said i'll remember in a minute it was something about writing and i know it must have been funny because bonnie told two or three fellers afterwards and they all thought it was jolly good i'll remember what it is in a minute oh yes i know no that wasn't it anyway i could see trollope didn't half like it here i felt compelled to interrupt must have been very interesting i murmured knowing anthony trollope and all the men of his time well yes it was interesting said sir marcus not that i think much of writing fellers as a whole you know they're a lousy lot when i was minister in constantinople there was a chap there who said he was going to write his memoirs Furnival, his name was, or Furbanks, or Turnbulls, perhaps. I can't remember exactly, but I know he had an awfully pretty wife. She was pretty, by Jove. We were very good friends, she and I. I remember one evening dancing with her at old Crawford Romaine's, and she had a rope of pearls on as big as pigeon's eggs. Finest pearls I ever saw in my life. She asked me whether I liked her pearls, and I said, I like the neck they're on better, ha, 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 ha that was good wasn't it ah one was young in those days the things one could do then swim hunt shoot ride swim why i swam five miles one night with the water so hot it fairly blistered you that swim was talked of afterwards i can tell you i remember a young cousin of mine there a birdie pendice poor fellow got eaten by a shark afterwards lower half of him bitten right off left a wife and four children pretty little woman she was and they hadn't a penny she married afterwards young sparks who ran off with that opera singer in paris what was her name large fat red-faced woman she was always unlucky mrs sparks i mean devilish pretty too but never seemed to hit on the right man she married a third time here i was compelled to interrupt i saw palm making signs to me from the other end of the room very sorry i said feeling weak as water but determined to prove my courage but i must be off i've enjoyed very much what you've been telling me and hope we'll have another talk one day we must indeed said sir marcus arising too and putting his arm through mine i haven't had such an interesting conversation for a long time come along and have a meal with me one day five half moon street always glad to see you and you shall tell me more of your doings 
hello banting uh, just been hearing all your young friend's adventures very interesting very indeed i was just telling him about poor millie sparks did you ever know her married a young cousin of mine eaten by a shark poor feller all the lower half of him bitten off she married again afterwards some woman in the opera at paris can't remember her name large fat woman uh, no no said pomery i never knew her well so long pendice glad to have seen you we left the diplomatist staring after us in indignant surprise when we reached the hall i gripped banting by the arm i'll do what i can i said i don't know that we can bring it off but it's a public duty we'll do our best by jove you'll be a public benefactor said palm if you do what are you thinking of leaving him on a scotch moor or something it will need considering i answered but i have an idea we'll see two the week that followed was one of the most miserable of my young life i saw that to carry this through successfully it was absolutely necessary that i should make a thorough study of my subject it was not difficult to climb into the affections of sir marcus i telephoned on the morning following my first meeting with him and asked him whether i might see him again he cordially invited me to dine with him that night his rooms in half moon street must have been among the smallest and the untidiest in london he was in his bath when i arrived and the table in the little sitting-room was laid for two i will honestly confess that my heart sank when i saw that i was to spend the evening alone in his company he shouted to me from his bath and i saw through the open door a large red face a large mottled red arm and an enormous sponge he talked then for the next ten minutes through the sponge into which he seemed to bury his face in successive frenzies of excitement then as he dressed he continued to shout at me and arrived at last in the little sitting-room his white hair all on end struggling with his collar and shouting for the valet where's crundle 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 sorry i'm so late met an interesting feller as i was coming along from the club he was just back from india what he said reminded me of a thing that happened in bombay once what the oh this collar's too small where's that man got to would you mind helping me a moment just slip your fingers in there give the stud a push will you that time in bombay oh look out the thing'll go if you don't take care got it take care don't pinch my neck oh heavens it's gone wait a minute i then enjoyed one of the strangest sights i have seen for a long time namely sir marcus standing in his shirt and trousers and shaking himself up and down like a danseur learning the latest and most erratic developments of the shimmy his eyes as usual bursting from his head both of us watching in agony for the appearance of the stud there was a little tinkle as something struck the floor and we were then both on our knees searching the carpet but i will not continue through the varied eccentricities of that amazing evening some bores are bores because they remember so much some are bores because they remember nothing at all some are bores because they say the same things over and over again some are bores because their views of life are so simple that they reduce everything to nothing and then reduce it all over again some are bores because they love you so much others because they hate you so much others again because they are not thinking of you at all but only of themselves 
others yet again because they think of you so much that your natural modesty is disgusted some are bores because of a trick of the voice or a movement of the body some because they're industrious some because they're lazy some because they're ugly and certainly some because they're handsome all these bores except the very last was sir marcus pendyce when after our not very appetizing meal we were seated in front of the fire i began to suffer with that strange desire to scream hit somebody with a mallet or burn the house down which is supposed to arise only from the condition of overwrought nerves my nerves were excellent but there was an inevitability a monotony about pendyce's voice that was like the howling of a dog in the night-time or the screaming of a peacock upon the walls of the ancestral home pendyce's exultation as he discovered that he had here at last a victim apparently willing helpless and invertebrate a victim for whom he had been searching through so many years was an awful thing to witness he led me from constantinople to berlin from berlin to the caucasus flung me from the caucasus into the national sporting club and thence back again to the waters of the bosphorus then taking me by the hairs of my head breathless and exhausted took me to the highest peaks of mount everest hurled me thence into the purlieu of whitechapel then dragged me broken and beaten into st peter's at rome gave a final stamp across my prostrate form then boomed away like the sea on a rocky coast well well it's pleasant to have a chat and find out what a man really thinks you've opened my eyes to a lot of things to-night one day i'll tell you a few things too after all there's something in age and experience we old uns know a thing or two what says horace there began then the most dreadful pursuit of the latin language which ending in a kind of apoplectic convulsion produced only the words eton education classics fine thing for a boy the result of this evening was that i was determined to put the plan that i had conceived into execution as soon as possible look here chippet i said have you seen charlie black to-day no i haven't for a long time said chippet why he's got to help me i said i suppose he's in the same old place he was i paid him a visit that very afternoon mr charles black was a remarkable man of enterprise who started in the haberdashers had been most things from a stoker to a dancing instructor and was now safely landed in quite a successful business as a lecture agent it is well known that in the united states of america there is a passion for lecturers on every conceivable subject and very often on no subject at all here in the less intellectual british isles lecturers are less in demand and it is generally considered that a lecturer is sufficiently rewarded by being allowed to speak for an hour or so in a hall or drawing-room on the subject nearest his heart without the addition of financial profit mr black was changing all that he had now a leash of excited lecturers at his heels who went yapping and barking about the country and he had roused quite enough interest in many of the larger provincial towns to make a small profit possible for his lecturers and quite a large one for himself he was an honest agreeable faithless haberdasher who considered his lectures exactly as he had in an earlier period of his career considered collars and handkerchiefs 
this is a very good little thing that we're doing he would announce to newcastle or liverpool in the haunted homes of england style as we have a line in the poets of scotland we can thoroughly recommend these princesses i have known articles are wearing very well indeed and these denizens of the deep are meeting a long-felt demand some of his lecturers i understood objected to the atmosphere with which he surrounded them he was quite frank with these superior persons if you don't like it morum he said you can jolly well lump it here am i creating a new style of business and you will kindly allow me to do it in my own way good afternoon madam i expect your eye life in the cities of europe will be most successful without my aid no one will be more glad than i shall be if it is so as he explained to me he sounded a sarcastic fellow he was not nearly so sarcastic as he sounded he was very glad to see me again why mr johnson he said this is a sight for sore eyes are you thinking of lecturing yourself do you think i'd be any good at it i asked him well uh, you never can tell he assured me we had a woman here last week who looked as if she couldn't say boo to a goose who was that frightened she told me she'd got a series on the cathedrals of england and i was going to turn her off but suddenly the man i'd got going down to brighton fell through and i sent her down instead lord love the duck but she'd had him paralyzed the royal pavilion too where the old prince regent used to carry on anyhow she made them cathedrals as thrilling as a circus she had em laughing all over the place the best lecture they ever had they said well i've got a lecturer for you i said who's the very thing he's a retired diplomat who's known everybody in his time and been everywhere why that sounds good said mr black has he done any lecturing not in public i said and plenty in private is he shy or nervous said mr black not a bit i answered nothing can stop him once he's off he can give you anecdotes about all the crowned heads of europe he's a most amusing fellow why that's the very thing i want said mr black it's a funny thing but in these democratic days the more democratic people get the more they want to hear about eye life mention a duchess to em ten years ago and they wouldn't look at it give em a countess today and they'll eat you what's he look like he looks proper old aristocrat i answered three chins one eyeglass and what's called a portly presence he's also got the oxford manner he's genial friendly and loves a yarn he's the very man said mr black in an awestruck whisper send him along next day i lunched with sir marcus at the lambs there is something strange and uncomfortable not altogether unconnected i suppose with a bad sort of snobbishness about being entertained in a club by a man who is immensely unpopular there if there is some fine and righteous reason for his unpopularity then the guest may feel all the virtuous happiness of supporting against odds a magnificent cause but if his unpopularity has no greater basis than intrinsic unagreeableness it is difficult indeed not oneself to feel unagreeable and justly uncomfortable it helped me a little to realize that sir marcus was completely unaware of the general attitude to him in the few minutes before luncheon he approached five different members of the club with an eager smile and an explanatory finger and all those five men faded away from before him and were not it was as though he realized that it was an essential condition of his state of life that he should only catch his company 
after many fruitless throws of the line and hook and he turned this in some wonderful way to a deep compliment to himself on the ground i suppose that the best of god's creatures are only appreciated by the few and that nothing that is good comes easily we were halfway through luncheon when i made my proposal lecture he cried sniffing the air like a horse out for its first morning run lecture 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 well now why not why not indeed i said i wonder that you haven't thought of it before my dear young friend he said impressively leaning towards me i have thought of it on several occasions to tell you the truth advances have been made to me but they didn't seem to me quite worth it nor indeed to tell you a little more quite remunerative enough who wants me to lecture i told him about mr black mr black's enthusiasm and mr black's marvellous powers of organization oh he sounds a worthy fellow said sir marcus in his best diplomatic manner but of course you know it's a ticklish business my lecturing discretion needed and tact i remember in sixty four when i was attache in berlin a feller in the embassy giving a lecture and he made just the smallest allusion to the wife of young bonnie cooper who was first secretary just then said she had the prettiest feet in europe or something and by jove there was a row there was to be a ball the next night i remember and old blankenshop smith uh, you know his sister probably mrs crashaw fitzgerald she's dead now poor thing died of eating too much if you ask me she was a wonderful woman for her meals i'll have some more of that she used to cry and would go on hours after everybody else quite regardless i called the worthy gentleman back to the business in hand i am sure we can trust your discretion sir marcus i said the thing to do is to tell them just enough you know and not too much sir marcus roared at this that's the thing he cried i don't suppose he said solemnly looking towards me that there is any one in europe at this moment who knows as much as i do about what goes on behind the scenes why the war alone uh, no i interrupted firmly there must be nothing about the war it is your earlier experiences sir marcus that will be so interesting to everybody he was i should say excited like a child by the idea i didn't know then but discovered later that his finances were in a very bad way and perhaps he felt more lonely and isolated than i had given him credit for this was what he wanted unlimited opportunity for speech audiences impressed and enthusiastic and money at the end of it his introduction to charlie black was a very magnificent affair it had about it that curious theatrical unreality that so often occurs in real life sir marcus was unreal i saw now for the first time because he was so desperately a survival his kind had been killed by the war and if they ever came up again it would be with some new tradition some fresh exterior some more modern phrase he was very magnificent to charlie black treating him with a condescension and patronage that was wonderful to behold he was magnificently dressed in a high black stock and pearl pen and his eyeglass superbly balanced and his attitude was that he had come down from the olympus of all the aristocracy to greet some trembling mortal who had begged for his presence and was ready to pay large sums for the enjoyment of five minutes of his company for charlie black i had always had respect 
but my admiration of him was immensely increased by his attitude on this occasion he did not resent in the least sir marcus's patronage although it must have seemed very absurd to him he found out very quickly just what the old gentleman was capable of doing he flattered his snobbery listened to his stories and interrupted them when they were too lengthy with wonderful dexterity finally the arrangement was made sir marcus was to attempt a tour of three months his lecture being entitled the great war as i knew it the plan was that sir marcus should talk to young smithers charlie black's most able assistant for several mornings pouring out to him all the treasures of his experience and that from these smithers should make a collective narrative which the lecturer should read sir marcus rebelled a little against this telling anybody who would listen to him that he would infinitely prefer that he should talk straight from the heart spontaneity is my greatest gift said sir marcus a gift denied to many i am my natural self when i am unfettered by notes or pieces of paper i do beg you mr black that you will allow me to talk freely easily as though the audience consisted of a few friends of mine gathered together round the club fire later on later on said mr black you'll forgive me for saying so sir marcus but however natural an orator may be and i know from your diplomatic experience that you must have had many occasions for public speaking oh indeed i have interrupted sir marcus eagerly once in berlin uh, quite so quite so said charlie black gently all the same those are my terms sir marcus take them or leave them it amazed and even touched me to see what a child the man instantly became in the hands of someone who knew how to deal with him he was pitiably anxious about his success the whole world stopped while he considered every detail of his approaching appearance he bored me so desperately in the weeks that followed that on several occasions i nearly abandoned the whole affair he was perhaps a finer artist on the telephone than any one i've ever known he would ring you up on most inconvenient occasions when you were in your bath or at breakfast or engaged upon a serious piece of work it was of no avail whatever to say that you were out or ill or busy against such an excuse he had the simple retort of ringing up steadily every successive few minutes until you were found to be in then once he had you words came tumbling through the air like flakes of a snowstorm and if you said good-bye or put down the receiver too quickly he would be at you again in another five minutes with the remark that he hadn't quite finished what he was saying and somebody must have cut us off the real cure however was already working during a whole week he only once entered the club and palm almost fell upon my neck and embraced me in the middle of piccadilly and was anxious to pay me my money there and then no you wait i said he may be back on you in another week or two nobody knows how this lecture tour will develop three never 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 shall i forget that first lecture it took place in a hall in the wilds of wimbledon it had been well billed beforehand there were posters up and down the streets of wimbledon announcing that sir marcus pendyce c b m v o would give a lecture on the great world as i have known it that nobody now alive had had quite the experiences that sir marcus had had that he was a noted raconteur 
and that although efforts had been made for many years to force him on to the lecture platform it was only now that bowing at last to the insistent public demand he had consented to appear the hall was packed the walls were lined with standing people the gallery almost shed perspiration upon the heads below it so hot and pressed and excited was it the chairman of the evening was sir muttlebury hot j p for the district a gentleman so curiously like sir marcus on a smaller and more insignificant scale that i once again admired charlie black's resource in that he had secured a chairman who should as it were prepare the way for the speaker by being just half as grand half as large half as impressive then sir marcus appeared there was a storm of cheers the two gentlemen sat on the platform smiling a little nervously nodding to one another and looking at their watches the chairman was not a man intended by the deity for public speaking and after he had muttered a few remarks about being amongst friends everybody knowing everybody and the great world and how nice it was to see everybody and how certain he was that everybody was going to be very happy he sat down sir marcus rose and for a passing moment i felt for him all the tenderness and pity that a mother may feel for her only son dispatched for the first time into the brutal world of school life for once the poor man was terribly nervous lost bewildered and confused he took out his eyeglass wiped it put it back again he smiled laughed a little and then suddenly remembered his paper which he picked up held upside down and then began to murmur to himself then suddenly i suppose the blood of the pundices came to his rescue he made a sudden plunge caught and held that fine booming voice that was so familiar to all his friends and was off i must confess that he read very well indeed with the only exception that he laughed a little too much before he arrived at one of the jokes that came swimming up towards him from the bottom of the page in fact on one occasion he broke off parenthetically to remark now this is a good one you all listen to this but otherwise he went steadily forward to the end then to my horror i saw him lay the paper down take a step forward with his hands in his pockets his head tilted back began to discourse on his own you have had my dear friends he said what i think without exaggeration i may describe to you as a really interesting paper but perhaps i flatter myself here he paused and waited and as there were no remarks from the audience he continued nevertheless there are some other things that occur to me as i stand before you that may i think amuse you let us consider ourselves all friends gathered together round the club fire a group of schoolgirls from the wimbledon high school in the second row who had been growing a little sleepy all sat up and began to look interested oh, i remember in berlin it must have been i think in the spring of seventy one or the late autumn of seventy perhaps my heart sank i looked round me in despair but on this occasion it was our chairman who saved us sir marcus was barely launched into his first international episode when a loud most unmistakable snore from behind him caused him to stop start and turn around 
Sir Muttlebury Hatt, his legs stretched in front of him, his arms crossed his stomach, was fast asleep. This disconcerted the speaker most surprisingly. There must have been many other occasions when his hearers had slept in his presence, and he had continued undismayed, but this time he was beaten. He stopped, stammered, and finally broke off with, oh, "'Well, dear friends, uh, uh, good night, good night, good night. I hope you've all enjoyed the evening as much as I have. Perhaps one day you will allow me to come and see you again.' There was a storm of applause. Sir Muttlebury awoke, got upon his feet, and said that Sir Marcus Pendyce had given us a great deal to think about, that we had felt during his delightful speech as though we were all part of the great world ourselves, that we had learnt at any rate that the great world was very little different from the small one, and so on and so on. The evening was over. There began, then, one of the most curious episodes of my life. There was no reason whatever why I should accompany Sir Marcus on his tour, but there was something simple and childish about the poor gentleman that touched my sympathies. I would never have believed that a few weeks could so completely change a man of his age. It was not, of course, that he became in any way less of a bore. He was rather more of one, if possible, but the rough and tumble of that lecture tour showed him to be what at heart he must always have been, a nervous, frightened, rather pitiful child, flinching before the great world he was now discovering for the first time in his long life, finding it, indeed, so utterly different from anything that he had supposed. What a sheltered, safe, ordered existence those before the war diplomatists must have had! Will anyone ever be so safe again? I trow not. To Sir Marcus, the risk of the lectures, the possibility that the audiences might be slender, the further possibility that they might not like what he said, and might tell him so, the discomfort and ugliness of the English provincial hotel, the jostling and jolting of incessant train journeys, the colds and indigestions and neuralgias and headaches that hang exultingly around the path of every lecturer, of all these things he had had before no slightest hint. In the third week of our tour, when we arrived at Edinburgh, it was wet, cold, and windy, and that night of our arrival at the Caledonian Hotel, sitting on his bed in his pajamas, he burst into tears, and then clung to me as though I were indeed his wife, mother, and grandfather rolled into one. He could give me no coherent explanation of his breakdown, he had earache, the fish hadn't agreed with him at dinner, the last lecture in Carlisle had been but thinly attended, his little jokes about queens and kings, prime ministers and beautiful ladies had seemed even to himself curiously out of date and dusty. In short, he was a poor, bewildered human being in a bewildering, foggy, dangerous world. I suggested, although I knew that I was perhaps losing all my chances of success, that he should abandon the tour. Not for a moment! He sprang on to the floor, began to gesticulate, searched for his eyeglass, and proved to me unmistakably that the success of his enterprise was the only thing that he now considered. I saw, in fact, a disaster approaching us. The lectures had been less and less successful, and this always for the same reason, that he would not stick to his book, but would burst at the most unlikely places into incoherent anecdotage that had no beginning, no middle, and no end. 
at liverpool before a very thin audience indeed he had talked for a solid two hours and finally had to be dragged from the platform this loquacious habit had immensely thrived on lecturing it seemed indeed as though now it was physically impossible for him to stop talking even in his sleep from my room that was next to his i could hear him continuing i remember in seventy one and so on there were twenty more lectures for him to deliver we descended from edinburgh to durham and there in the small concert room in the town hall some twenty or thirty people were all his audience i really could have put my arms round sir marcus and patted his white head when in the little room behind the platform the man in charge of the hall said mighty few here to-night i should put em all in the first two rows and have em close together looks a bit warmer he made then i saw a truly magnificent struggle to pull himself together threw back his head adjusted his eyeglass and went forward my warmest admiration bearing him full company from the open door of the little room i could see the hall with all its cruel exposure of empty seats its glaziness emptiness and coldness and once again as i had felt on so many other of the cases connected with this business of mine i wondered whether i were not too cruel to be really true then i noticed sitting in the front row two dear old rosy-cheeked white-haired ladies and with them a nice-looking young man their eyes were fixed on sir marcus from the beginning of the lecture to the end they gazed at him adoringly the smile never left their faces and although they did not seem to take his especial points with much more active appreciation than they took the whole of the discourse they were quite plainly in ecstasies about the whole affair it was quite delightful to see the way in which they nodded their old heads at one another and one of them at the end actually waved her hand i saw that sir marcus also had noticed them and at the end of the lecture he went down on to the floor and spoke to them and the young man he was with them a long time and i waited and waited and at last went off to the hotel not wishing to interfere or cut short any happiness he might be securing next morning to my surprise he told me that he intended to stay in durham for a day or two and that he would cut the lecture at newcastle out of his schedule he seemed in amazing spirits i asked him who were his new friends the misses piggott and a nephew two adorable old ladies he was going to lunch with them that day the lecture following the newcastle one was near london so i went down back to my old haunts leaving sir marcus with his new friends charlie black when i saw him the next day told me quite frankly that our diplomatist was a complete failure and that he must call off the other lectures i begged and pleaded but all to no avail just give him another chance i said the whole happiness of his life depends upon it charlie black was not to be moved silly old fool he said i warned him not to get talking all that stuff on his own if he stuck to what we wrote out for him he would have been quite all right but not e conceited old puppet no a business was business and sir marcus pendyce's career as a lecturer was at an end i met palm and was about to confess to him that our plan had failed and that the lambs would see sir marcus once more in their company at a very early date luckily i refrained 
once more as on so many other occasions fate had stepped in and saved me i had a note next morning from sir marcus headed mulberry cottage fetters moor durham saying that he intended to stay for a week or two with the mrs piggott that he was enjoying himself very much and that the rest of the lectures could go to hades i saw that my sympathy had been wasted and i was glad that it was so week after week passed sir marcus did not return then it happened quite by chance that i met at some dinner-party in london a canon of durham cathedral who was having a week of theatre in the metropolis and enjoying himself very much indeed by the way i said do you happen to have seen anything up there of an old feller pendyce who was once a diplomat the canon laughed oh why yes he said old man with white hair and an eyeglass never stops talking that's the man i said yes of course he's living out at fetters moor five miles out of durham with two old ladies that's it i answered do you happen to know how long he's going to stay there oh he's there for the rest of his natural days he's taken up his abode with them forever he's just what they've been searching for all their lives they're dear old things but they're the greatest snobs in europe they'd go miles just to see anybody with a title and to have a real ambassador living with them gives them a happiness that is delightful to behold yes but i said how can they endure it he talks the whole time and he's the greatest bore in christendom oh that doesn't matter said the amiable canon laughing didn't you know they're both stone deaf i was paid my check by palm on the following morning End of story five.